Welcome to Not Just for Laughs on Radio Free Brooklyn with your host, Ellie Raskin, co-host Max Hollander, and guest Jarrett Berenstein. Jarrett, why don't you say hi? Hello, how's it going? Uh, it's really good to have you in here. I'm uh, really honored. You're, I, I've seen you around because what you guys don't know about our guest is he has a show right here on Radio Free Brooklyn as well called Famous De- uh, Dead People. Um, and besides for that, he is a... Pretty accomplished writer, comedian, and producer. He's performed at what I, on what I call the big three, which are UCB, The Pit, and Magnet Theater. Oh, boy, those are the big three. Yeah, that's what I call for people outside <laughs> of New York. Uh, and also helps because I'm like, I did a show on one of the big three. Uh, no one cares. But uh, he, he also just got off a five-week tour, uh, stand-up tour, uh, around America, which is kind of cool. We're getting him off of that, so he's going to be extra funny today. Hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, no pressure for that. He was a awarded a timeout New York critics pick. Is that the right way to say it? Awarded yeah. a. Or... Uh, I would say I was a timeout New York critics pick, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah, that was dope. Most of our listeners live in New York, and like timeouts big, so they know what timeout is. But uh, he was also uh, best solo show at the LA Comedy Festival, and guess what? He's reprising the show. He, sort of, sort, sort of. of. Uh, basically, the uh, the show. Uh, that won those awards was sort of a solo sketch show. So okay. it was a combination of like storytelling and weird bits involving audience participation and uh, little stand-ups and little video and little animation. And it's all sort of, um, you know, it, it was a show that I did a whole bunch of times with a very specific set of bits. And I've started doing it annually as part of like a birthday show thing Mm -hmm. and so the one that i have coming up is going to be my 40th so my for my 40th birthday i'm doing sort of like a big blowout one there's going to be free beer we're going to get to party in the theater afterwards and it's going to be it's going to be a very special show so do you want to tell us what theater what time what day of course of course so the birthday show will be march 24th that's a sunday at 9 p.m at the magnet theater scribble 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 that's me writing it down Mm because i'm going and y'all have to go too yeah tattoo that on your (laughs) arm or whatever wherever you need to remember to get there right next to your avocado tattoo which someone just told me yesterday they saw uh, he's also a published author, so and for any other information, his bio is too long to read on air. <laughs> Go to jarrettbernstein.com. It's J-A-R-R-E-T-B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N.com. That is the case. Super slick website. It's all there uh, for you to check out. So, Yes, sir. Jarrett, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. What is one thing that you would love for these people sitting at home who don't know you, don't know what you look like, besides for what I said, don't know anything? What's one cool fact that you want them to know about yourself? Oh, God, that's so funny. I was, um, me and my girlfriend, sometimes when we're sitting around the apartment, we go to Ask Reddit, which is uh, just people just ask random questions to the internet community Reddit, and whenever... She finds an interesting question on there. She'll sort of like ask me, and that will be like our big oh. couple activity. We'll be just like asking each other these fun questions back and forth. It's actually really fun. My fiance loves Reddit. Yeah, and she actually do you does guys do that together. That. We don't do that. She just shares crazy, disgusting stories with me, and I <laughs> shrivel in the corner. Just me sitting at work on the bathroom in the bathroom reading reddit count as being part of this conversation definitely not (laughs) no but one of the questions that we just had on there was like what's your interesting fact that you tell people 
about. There you go. Um, and I told. I told actually, that was me. That's the way I get questions <laughs> for the show. Reddit is boss for getting questions. It's actually not. Yeah, that could be its own show. I'm, I think I'm going to steal that. And it's just going to be Ask Reddit Hour, where I bring people in and just yeah, ask them Ask Reddit questions. Part two. Ask Reddit questions. Yeah. Uh, the one that we were, we were talking about was like, what's like the one thing you tell people when you have like, an, when you want to like give them an interesting fact. And oh. I was like, oh, I have a couple of things that are like, I like to say because they invite like more questions. Like yeah. uh, one time I almost got hit by a tornado and uh, what? Uh, one time I accidentally showed my penis to someone on the subway platform accidentally as a comedian in 2019 i feel like you should clarify that story first okay well i'll happily i'll happily tell that story uh but the one that i usually tell people is that my brother not my brother my uh my cousin was in the band blind melon uh from the 90s they had a hit called no rain that is, you know, still I'm, out there, out and about. Guy, I can't say. Uh, but yeah, that's usually my big party conversation tidbit about me. You're gonna have to share. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to second Ellie's the, suggestion that you clarify the, the penis, penis story. The okay, so this was uh, early 2000s. I uh, had just moved here. I had uh, uh, drinks with some friends over. Uh, okay, at all this, right, we understand. At this <laughs> restaurant. Say no more. It was at this restaurant called uh, French Roast. It was close to the F train, which is the train you needed to get to take to get home. And I uh, full-heartedly was like, I'm not going to go to the bathroom before I leave uh, this restaurant, even though I had like an hour long commute back. This is such a classic New York back. story. Yeah, yeah. Any other state, you just like pull over to the side of the yeah. road. You have your designated driver, of course. Pull mm, the side of the road, course. you hop out, you pee, and you go back in. But yeah. Yeah, but no. So I get to uh, I get to the subway. I slide my card through the thing, and I'm waiting there for a while. And I just realize that this is going to be an emergency situation. <laughs> There's no. It's going to be untenable. Like I'm not going to be able to hold it. And I'm like, it is way better to pee here on the platform than to wait until you get on the subway because then there's no options on the subway. So, and the way that the the subway station worked. It's not like one of those big subway stations where there's like a lot of different entrances and stuff. If you go all the way to the end, then there's no there's no people there oh, and there's okay. no way that anybody can like sneak up behind you or anything. Right. So I go all the way to the end and I get behind a pillar and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna relieve myself here. Not hitting the third rail though. Not hitting the third rail. Very dangerous. <laughs> so I decide to do like a little safety check just to make sure that nobody's there. But then as I do, there's like one dude just like slowly walking towards me and i'm like oh no if he's also wants to 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 hang out at the very end over here <laughs> then i'm not going to be able to to go to the bathroom uh but then he stops and he stops in a place that's like kind of close but also far enough away where i might be able to go to the bathroom still so i decide i'm going to risk it also cuz all he sees is some guy at some time in the morning probably yeah it's like 3 o'clock there, 3 o'clock in the morning furtively looking around yeah, yeah, yeah. He... he didn't feel comfortable yelling back to him hey don't come closer. Just stay there. My penis is out. Just stay there. <laughs> I don't want any bit of this. You just Calm hang down. out where I'm you are. I'm just peeing. Oh, yeah. my God. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to... He's far enough away, maybe, so I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to do it. So I get behind this pillar, and I take myself out of my pants if... If I don't know, it's a weird this way of saying like it. This was like a it was like a a moment where you out of body moment. Hmm? I, I take just... myself <laughs> that was very out of my body. It was very Shakespearean. Trying to turn to be as as not vulgar as possible, yeah. forgetting that we were on oh, you're Radio Free Brooklyn. I took my dick out. I took my dick out. Uh, I took my dick out, and I was like, Jarrett, let's be smart about this. You should check one more time just to make sure this guy hasn't moved any closer. Drunk so, logic. So I poked my way. head out. 
to look where he's at. And he's still where he was, but he is looking at me. And that's when I realized that I didn't just poke my head out from behind the pillar. It actually <laughs> stepped, stepped out from behind the pillar with my dick in my hands and just looking at this guy. And I'm like, looking at him and I got my dick. It's like, like kind of like, a, I don't know, what do you think of my dick kind of face? And I'm just like, ah, and I like, I kind of like run back behind the pillar and I put my dick away because I'm just like, I can't believe yeah. you just fucking did that. I can't believe you just accidentally <laughs> showed your dick to somebody. And and because because nothing that I did at that at any point after that made it seem like this was an accident. It made it seem like what I like to do is poke out from behind a pillar sure. with my dick out and then poke my way back in, back, back behind, and then go exactly like ha ha ha. I got away with it again. At you the, know, at the <laughs> at the point where you had stepped out and realized in your mm. head, oh, he saw it. Did uh, the thought cross your mind to I should just stay here? <laughs> <laughs> Own it. Own it. <laughs> No, you know, I was so just like the the moment the thought came into my head, like, oh, check it out. Your dick is out and this guy can see it. The only thing that I thought was you have to rectify the situation. You have to you have to put the dick away and that way you will no longer be in the situation anymore. But yeah, yeah. I, with the, the gift of foresight, with a with hindsight. Hindsight. You're uh, also perfectly you're, you perp- you perfectly walked us through drunk person logic like that all made sense to me and then i was like oh because i'm in drunk brain right like you know what mm-hmm. i mean like yeah it's made sense like well what what oh shoot I, ah, I didn't zip it well i'll pee when i get home i yeah. can make it and then i just had to stop and i just had to then i just had to hold it my embarrassments expanded my bladder three sizes <laughs> it's impressive so mm-hmm. you're obviously a gifted storyteller thank you uh that was a, a, i was captivated <laughs> Um, so let's let's learn a little bit more about where you come from because a lot of comedy comes from our childhood. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what's your favorite childhood memory? Uh, favorite's a strong word. So, what's a str- uh, childhood memory? A uh, childhood favorite. memory, but it's a strong word, but still okay. favorite. Like, uh, I like to make up songs when I was a kid. Okay, uh, and so I'll give you guys two examples of this. Uh, one ABC, is you wrote uh, that. Wait, what did you say? ABC. ABC. I heard you wrote that. <laughs> No, they're like silly little kid songs, you know? Okay. Uh, And so, like, me and my brother, one time we were, like, on a big family trip, and we were just sort of, like, walking down the street together, arm in arm, like, with with our arms over each other's shoulders, and we just sort of, like, started stumbling around pretending to be like what we thought a drunk person was like <laughs> and then and then we came up with a song we're so drunk we're so drunk we're just repeated that over and over again uh and so like knowing that this is now part of like my my repertoire that's of like your, things that's that your I do. opening opening bit you just yeah. get up when you're, when you're on not just when you're on just for laughs festival you're gonna get up and be like we're so, so drunk. drunk and heckler's gonna be like that's not what drunk people walk like i was like guys this killed when i was eight <laughs> oh, but then God. i forget what grade it was but like u- utilizing the same skill of like making up silly songs i remember being on a field trip with um uh, with my class and uh, we were on a bus going somewhere and it just started like a little sing-along yeah. and it was it was really dumb it was just everybody clap everybody <laughs> clap everybody clap and it got the whole bus to do it and the teacher had to be like stop, stop, stop. it sounds like you're more of a musician than a lyricist because i feel like you kind of quit one line in 
You're like, hey, the audience is captivated mm-hmm. by this one line. All right, I got every. All right, I got everybody <laughs> clap. Oh, what's uh, that? What rhymes with clap? Click, click, click. Oh, I'm out of lead. I don't know. Oh, well, <laughs> I guess just repeat forever. <laughs> the, the end of that one. Yeah. But yeah, that was like one of my first moments of. You know, just feeling the real power of the mob. Yeah. You know, of mob mentality. It's, it's like, well, I got this whole, feeling. I got this whole bus to do this. You know, that was dope. Would that, because the next question I would like to ask, I usually ask, and I think this ties in, is would you say this is one of the uh, seminal moments where you're like, oh, I'm funny. I can make people laugh. No, definitely not. I did have one of those moments where um, I think I was in like fourth or fifth grade and some guy came to our school and pulled a couple of us out and was doing like us i think like out of st- class or like yeah pulled us out of class. auditorium no like no no like it was regular class was going okay. on and they pulled like five of us out mm-hmm. and they're just an like, official thing or <laughs> <laughs> yeah the teacher seems to like, with it. i kind of want to just like let our audience be warned ahead of time if this is going down a dark path no or... <laughs> not a dark path but this guy i think he was like a student psychologist or something okay. or maybe he was like getting his master's in education or something because he specifically pulled this out and gave us like a weird little mini group therapy session, hmm. you know? And so he was just like asking us about our feelings and like, you know, and you know, whatever. I don't I don't I didn't remember. And it happened like two or three times with this dude. And so we just went out to go talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like I'd never been the funny one up until this point. And for some reason, I just started telling stories about, the things I had done in my past, I was like a, a kid that liked to get lost a lot. And okay. so I got lost on the beach at Disneyland, like on Alcatraz, like everywhere like, that my family went. Uh, intentionally or completely unintentionally? No, like unintentionally. Like oh, I was okay. just a space cadet. Yeah. And so I started like telling the story to this like child psychologist and all the other students that were there started laughing. And I started like milking mm. it because I was like, oh, this is a fun feeling. I really like this. And so I yeah. started like performing it up and making the story three times longer than it had to be, <laughs> you know, and I just started like getting addicted to that, you know, like, uh, I don't know what attention. I'm doing, but whatever I'm doing, I'm going to keep going. I like this, it and yeah. I want more of this. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, more th- other than that, like, I think I just had a very uh, difficult time relating to people and I just sort of like attacked it from the sort of like the scientific method i just like looked at other popular people and i was like what are they doing yeah. and they were like funny and so i was like okay well i should be funny and then maybe i'll be popular too and people will like me and girls will want to hang out with me and you that's know? just the way it works how'd that, how'd that go joke and all of a sudden they all turn away i'll take this moment where all the girls just turn and go him him i want to <laughs> hang out with that guy maybe kiss him maybe give him kisses because he just said a silly word where'd he go oh he's lost again all right <laughs> hey yeah track no. him down at disney world and bizarrely that plan worked out perfectly <laughs> usually the plans you make when you're nine years old or something i just imagine all completely... like the bullies like these like built football players like in another room like like Darn it, that Jarrett, <laughs> how are we going to win the women back? His quips and one-liners are just stealing the gals. It's just too damn funny. God damn it. We take our shirts off. We did every, doing all these push-ups and, and crunches. Ugh, motherfucker. I don't know what we're supposed to do now. They're like The only way we are going to one-up him is the graduation photos, because it's just pictures. You can't put a quip in a picture. Oh, and, really- and, then, and then it gets to the yearbook, and it's like, we forgot the quote part of it. <laughs> Motherfuckers didn't know I could caption. I could caption oh, these God. pictures. What was your caption? Do you remember? Um, oh, God. I don't, we did um, we did superlatives, you know, most right. likely twos. Oh, yeah. And uh, I had a big Jufro 
uh, at that point in my life. Very and nice. so mine was most likely to find a tribe of Aborigines living in his hair. <laughs> um, and then everybody got like a senior page. And so we were able to put whatever yeah. we wanted on there. And so I put like a whole bunch of quotes and like I was a Bill, Bill Waterson fan. And so I put a bunch of Calvin oh Hobbes God, on yes. there and oh, that's cool. a big like thank you list to everybody who was friends with me and to my parents and everything like that. And then there's like a bunch of random pictures and stuff like yeah. that. So Bill Waterson, just the last guest we had also said the same thing so Ooh. bill waterson for the win do you have do you have his uh box set i i don't have the box set because when i was into bill waterson he was still doing the comics uh, in the newspaper and so i was getting the books as they were coming out so i have like i think the angriest know. i've not angriest the the first time i remember being truly just hurt as a human being was when i found out that bill waterson was still alive and had stopped creating mm. and i was like how dare like i was i was hurt on a personal level that this like oh my god like how could you not like you have this you have this skill this talent and you stopped and then i was then i like read about him i was like oh he he, he hated it he hated yeah, all that he was a really chill guy he just wanted to hang out with his family yeah, and, and he'd, be and he'd in the wanted, woods yeah and he wanted to just like create art and he kept getting like hassled by the people who wanted to make money um but money is what made makes the world go around yeah, Speaking did you read about, his commencement oh, speech, by the way? Uh, I did. Yeah. And did you see the Zen? Uh, this is like nothing. Zen pencils. There's this guy who what he does is he draws out people's like the most inspiring part of people's um, commencement speeches. So I would recommend anyone who likes Bill Watterson or likes inspirational um, uh, commencement speeches there. This person is not paying me. It's Zen pencils. And he created this like beautiful, uh, maybe like. 50 panel art piece like a uh, comic that was drawn in the style of calvin and hobbes hmm. that fits that's you know, so cool what, what is that called again it's called zen pencils and zen it's, pencils it's really interesting two I'll years ago i there was like a, a month or two where i just read it like all the time because I, I was just like y'all the feels this is making <laughs> me feel things um so speaking about money making the world go around at what point did you decide okay i'm funny uh i want to turn this into a career uh, I was waiting tables. I was working at a pizzeria Uno here in New York oh, City. Wow. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of my time was, I, I first moved to New York, I was going to be an actor Okay, and I did the whole thing. I got my headshots done. I was, uh, sending Which, them out on, you know, to the listings on back page and yeah. doing all the things I was supposed to be doing. It's and <laughs> Isn't it wait back page or backstage? Backstage, sorry. Isn't back page the other back one? Backpages for whores. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to just jump in uh, there because uh, what if that's the nope. pro- why I didn't become an actor? Yeah, you were sending them. To I don't the wrong know why place. I'm not getting any of these parts. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I've been oh at this for a God. while. All I keep getting are these fucking gross yeah. ass German men trying to <laughs> and like, put fruit in my butthole. <laughs> When I Jesus. when I when I first and uh, badly worded like foreign women who you know it's fake or mm-hmm. like me want to pussy you. <laughs> when I first got out of college, and I was looking at a Craigslist. I think for just I work. I also work in video production. And I was looking for uh, that kind of work, and I was a lot of on Craigslist. There's a lot of video adult star, <laughs> adult video <laughs> star wanted. I'm like I'm an adult. <laughs> I like videos. So let's see what this is about. I clearly fit the description perfectly. So uh, yeah, I was doing all that stuff, and I I was uh, trying to get a job as a bartender because i thought it'd be cool yeah to be bartender you know 
And uh, I, I found my way to Pizzeria Uno because I, I, I ended up with only $4 left in my bank account oh my God. after sending out like headshots and stuff like that. This was, I, out of curiosity, how long had you been living in New York at this point? Like less happened? than a year, like oh, maybe wow. maybe six months before I almost before I completely ran out of money. And uh, so I got this job at Uno's and I started waiting tables and I basically like took my foot off the gas from being a performer because I was like, I need to make money. And mm-hmm. then when I made enough money where I could like eat food that yeah. i was eat, i was eating like rice and beans for every single meal uh when i could finally start to afford things like meat <laughs> i was like i just started i kind of like fell in love with that lifestyle and i was like going out to fancy meals with my friends and we were drinking until like you know yeah. eight o'clock in the morning and we just were partying like crazy hard and then at one point i was like all i'm doing is working drinking and being hungover and like that's not a good way so to live your life that. you know and so I was trying to figure out, like, all right, what do I want to do again? I was like, do I want to try to be an actor again? And I just hated auditioning and yeah. I hated other actors. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to be a part of this community anymore. And, like, uh, trying to go back to, like, the things that I really enjoyed doing when I was in high school and college. And I did a little bit of sketch and improv when I was in high school and college. And I was like, oh, I really want to get back into that. And so I took classes at the UCB. And then I tried to, like, find stand-up shows that I could go try. And then once... I started doing that once I did enough where I felt like I called myself a comedian. I realized that there wasn't that embarrassment anymore of like when, when I tell people I was an actor, I felt embarrassed. But when I told really? people I was a comedian, I was like, oh, this feels more like what it is. And I liked hanging out with other comedians as opposed to hanging out with other actors. And it just felt it just felt right. And so do I was like, think, OK, this is it. I'm curious. Was it more of did it, was it from the inside or the outside? Was it that as a society, people are like, oh another actor or was it that you're like oh this resonates better with what i actually want to do uh yeah that that one but also it it wasn't that society looked down on actors it was like i looked down on actors it was like i'm a waiter who's also an actor it's like if i heard that i would roll my eyes yeah at that person and i'm doing that now you know that's why when i tell people i do comedy i always just say like oh i never said i was good because like I, I'm like always self-conscious. They're going to be like, oh, what can I see you in? Mm-hmm. Or like or see a sketch I was in and be like, you suck. <laughs> I know that. Tell the director that. Yeah. Um, what was that process like uh, when you were first starting out in comedy? You said you would. Uh, it was it was uh, it was difficult. Um, but a lot of the difficulty came just from myself. Like I was uh, I was taking improv classes at the UCB Ooh. and really feeling like I was a like a genius an undiscovered genius and so everything that was even the tiniest roadblock I was like this is just another example of fucking bullshit people trying to keep me down and I, I'm a genius and no one realizes that I'm a genius and this is such fucking bullshit and so I didn't want to do anything that I was like this is exploitive I just need to be discovered you know like I didn't do open mics i didn't do bringers i didn't work at all because i felt like i was just automatically a genius so when when did you make that transition into like oh i need to start i need to start working like working listening to other people and then i I tag on that how because i'm curious because i definitely fall into that camp how did you get over that in a healthy way i mean i'm really just interested i'm I'm really interested in this Mm -hmm. um because i actually am a genius so (laughs) i just want to know how the other and i'm just an idiot so (laughs) we both both of us are interested for different reasons uh the thing that happened was i had a friend who was also doing stand-up and he was getting more shows than i was and i was asking him how he did it and everything was oh i did this bringer or oh i was flyering Mm -hmm. and that person let me do his show you know and I tried to explain to him, I was like, but I don't want to do these bad shows when it's going to make it seem like I'm a bad comic. I should only do 
good shows that have like legitimate audiences because I know I'm amazing. And yeah. so I just want to do those shows. And my friend said, and this is almost a direct quote, he's like, okay, well, I got an idea. Why don't we just go to the store and buy a box of straws and you can suck it the fuck up? <laughs> and I Whoa. was like, okay. And he's like, do you want to be a comedian? And I was like, yes. And he's like, well, then this is what you do. And wow. so we started flyering shows together. I did a couple of bringer shows. Um, I started working the door at Broadway Comedy Club. Um, every every Sunday for like a year and a half, I worked the door in exchange for spots. And how long ago was this again? Sorry, uh, that was that was about ten years ago. Like I was doing I was doing comedy from like two thousand two to two thousand and eight, but I was being really kind of lazy about it and a little wishy-washy about it like i would do stand-up but i would do stand-up like once every couple of months on a show that i felt was worthy of my genius you okay. know yeah and uh and i was doing improv shows but it was like i didn't i didn't i was working really hard to try to get on these improv shows at the ucb and it was just so difficult and i didn't really feel like i was part of the community i didn't really feel like i was embraced the way that some of the other comics have been embraced yeah. and so i was just trying to figure out how to crack into it and get the the kind of get rich quick scheme version of being a comedian and then when i ran into this friend it was like 2007 and he was like yeah just suck fucking suck it up and do it then just do it right and okay. then that's how you become a comedian so that's so I, would, I would follow up because i really it. i really want to lean into this because <laughs> this is selfish but the last week i've been doing a lot of thought about the exact things you're talking about so mm -hmm. i'd love to mine more into this which is uh so after because cause from your perspective, you're just saying you just did it. But like, what do you think looking back, your mentality has changed? Like, do you think your comedy's gotten better because you you like, quote unquote, let's say they like got humble or like what what do you think other things you learned along the way? Because that was just the, the first step was just the impetus where you were just like, all right, I just got to start flying. I got to start doing stand up mics, even if I think the, the the host is stupid. And even if I think the other comics suck and even if I think people are going to judge me. Right. So what else changed along with that? Um, I think one of the biggest ones was seeing other comedians and realizing that I wasn't that hot shit. Mm. And the longer that I've done stand up, the more I see what everybody else is doing that is that could be considered, quote unquote, better than what I'm doing. Like I would go to a show and I would see somebody amazing and I would go, I do that. I can do that. That's easy. You know, like I would right. go see. I forget which show I saw, but I saw like, um, uh, I can't remember the comic's name now. Um, but I just, I saw him and I tell, I saw a tell okay. at a show and I was David like, tell. I was like, that's yeah. I was like, that's easy. I, I do that. I write those. I wrote jokes. Yeah. If I, if they put me on this show, I would do that. They're just not letting me. I would be, I would get as many laughs as David tell because I'm that good. It's just, nobody will let me do that, you yeah. know, but flyering, I was meeting other comics who were at my level and we were doing the same shows together. And then that led to uh, doing late night at the comic strip. And that led to doing more bar shows and doing more open mics and just meeting everybody who's in the community right. and realizing that there is so much more nuance and, and, um, and, and complication to being a standup comedian and writing these jokes that, it might seem like it is one thing when you're looking at it from the outside, but when you're actually in the community, you see how complicated and, and, and deep it can be, and you realize how much you are not doing what the amazing people are doing. He's saying, okay, oh, yeah. now it's sort of like, you know, if you, if you play piano a little bit, 
uh, and you play piano for somebody who's not a musician, and they look at you and they go, oh, my God, that's really good. But if you are a professional piano player, you know how much better it can be than what you do. And you're like, well, no, I'm no Rachmaninoff. I'm no this famous person who can play these incredible pieces. You know what you're doing wrong. That's the thing that you learn when you're actually in the community and you're getting your your fucking fingers dirty, actually going to the shows and seeing other comedians and talking to other people and writing with people, you realize how much better you can be. Right. When you, you, know? were do- when you had that tra- that uh, sort of like a transition of realization, did your process change too? Like how you made, up, made, made material or how you approached comedy? Uh, it did. I did a lot more writing at shows that I was about to go on. Like that was always my favorite process was, you know, getting to, so like, you know, living your life, letting all the ideas kind of stew in your brain, you know, jotting down random things. And then once you get to the show, be like, okay, I need to do five minutes Mm. when my name gets called, what jokes am I going to do? And then you sort of like write them down really quickly and, excuse me, you know, uh, that was that was basically how my sets kind of grew and developed. Right. Okay. Uh, there, I, I started doing a little bit more now, where I just like to sit and write, as opposed to doing like half of the work on stage. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the 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 first like chunk of work that I developed was basically just always doing open mics, always being at shows. And just always having like little little notes and little ideas just kind of like popping right. in and popping in. Well, I just heard an uh, interview with a comedian. I'm blanking on his name. and uh, Or a writer. And he said that he credits improv to making him a better writer. Because he said, writers, you sit in a tiny room and you're just writing. And he, when he's writing a joke, he'll say, well, this have made that audience laugh. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in the beginning, stand-ups we don't really know what's going to make people laugh, but if you've done it for so long that you can sit and write, because I feel like in your head, you probably are like, okay, that I, I like you have, you have a clearer picture of what will and won't make audiences laugh because you've done it for so long. Yes, absolutely. But even the best comedian needs that experience in front right. of an audience to fine tune mm-hmm. what he just wrote. Right. Right. And then the audience lets you know. They let you know. Talking to someone else about yeah. voice and they were like, the audience will let you know. Like, you know, the audience <laughs> either will or won't laugh at the joke if you're telling jokes that don't fit you. Yeah. That's my favorite part about it. Just getting that instant uh, feedback yeah. to let you know that you didn't fuck up or that you did great. Yeah. Well, this is actually a segment I like going into because I feel like people I've spoken to who don't know comics, they think co- uh, comedy, and I just spoke to someone about this this past weekend, comes out of nowhere comedian just gets up and just starts riffing and i was like no actually stand-up comedians write Mm -hmm. so uh talked a little about your process uh um if i'm sitting next to you while you're writing a joke what would that process look like it would be boring it would just be me typing at a typewriter and maybe staring off into space for a little while trying to work the joke out in my head and then going back to the you have a bit in your notes and then or and then you think about it and you just start typing it out yes and do you type in like pauses or physicalities or is that no, on stage no 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 that's that all the stuff that i develop on on mm. the spots the the thing i'm trying to get at is when i'm writing what's the general idea that i'm trying to communicate what do i think is funny about this what is going to be the best way to set this up where it's not giving everything away immediately where i can still keep the punchline a secret mm. and how do i do that as economically as possible because i don't want to be doing a five minute build up to uh, a punchline that just has one hit to it, you know, um, unless you're Norm Macdonald and then you can do whatever <laughs> the fuck you want. 
Um, yeah. Do you have any formal training that plays into your comedy? Uh, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I, I I studied a lot of acting when I was in college, and uh, I'd call that formal training. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it made me more comfortable in a performance setting. But right. you know, as far as actually writing and delivering comedy, the only thing that I think made me better or that taught me how to be better was just doing it, was just being yeah. on stage and and collecting your lumps and doing your bad shows and trying to learn from that. And you are you the type that you record yourself, listen to it afterwards and see what people laugh or I you just feel it in the moment? I record myself for almost every show and I listen to almost none of them. <laughs> it's <laughs> really just <laughs> it's really just if something special happened and I want to make sure I know how I worded something right. or if I'm like, all right, I have a show tonight and I want to do the things that I did in Philly, but I want to do them tonight. So let me listen to those jokes and see what worked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just trying to remember like, oh God, that joke used to hit, but it doesn't anymore. And so then going back and like listening for those. Right. Um, but I, I was talking to another comic about this recently where you, you don't want to be the comic that doesn't listen to your own stuff because you need that feedback, but you also don't want to be the comic that just gets stuck in this feedback loop of listening to your stuff so much that you can't even tell what's good anymore yeah. you know so i think sporadically dipping into the reserves is a good idea and i mean i know comics who who do it that way who listen every single time and take notes on it and try to edit it and you know maybe that's good for them maybe maybe uh that is the way that they develop best yeah uh the thing that i've always preferred though is just dipping in when i need to yeah and it also could be people, the place where comedy comes from for different people comes it is different. So it could be the person who sits and listens and writes it down is a more bookish comedian. Yeah. Whereas what makes you a good comedian is that you're more shoot from the hip, you know, mm, yeah. you, you, we can't compare. Uh, so what do you use for source material for your comedy? And are there any topics you would not touch? Ooh, source material. Uh topics that I wouldn't touch I don't think so I really just try to not talk about the thing that everybody else is talking about um, so like Trump and like big headline news yeah like, like that. I, I even like my skin crawls a little bit just saying his name like it just yeah. feels so like it's what everybody's talking about and I just want to talk about something else yeah. and I guess the you know it's it's difficult for me to try to like pinpoint where the material comes from because it really just is when you're walking down the street and so an idea hits you. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I don't know. And the, the, the thing I'm trying to work on now is writing material. That's so me specific mm. that no other human being would ever be able to do it. Yeah. Mark Maron like, just said that he was on Conan's podcast and he said, he's like, the good thing about finally just talking about myself is no one can steal my jokes. Yeah. Cause no one else is me. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so, yeah, just start, starting there, just being like, how do I feel about X, Y, or Z? And more, more than that, like trying to stay away from jokes that are like, that are just jokes. Like I want something to have a little bit more backbone to it. I want something to be a little bit more, I don't know, like not with an agenda or not just talking about politics, but just something that is a little bit, a little more substantive in addition to being funny. Can yeah. you lean into, explain that a little bit more? Sure. Like, what do you mean by substantive? Oh, let's see here. Um, I have this, I have this bit that I'm working on right now where I talk about how I'm Jewish, but that I don't care about being Jewish. <laughs> And so it's like I could make just jokes about like, you know, oh, I'm Jewish. And so uh, I, you know, all the stereotypes about loving money or, or you know, the fact that we've been persecuted throughout history. But what I want to do is talk about how I don't care. And then maybe that will sort of like lean into an idea that I really want to get across, which is that we really shouldn't care about religion mm -hmm. because, you know, I 
don't know how much of a benefit it is. And sort of like making fun of the things I don't care about is basically saying, but why should you care about this? You know, interesting. so really if I talk about like, I don't care, I don't care about Israel. And they say like, you know, like my dad's Jewish and my mom's not. And then other Jews will be like, well, that means you're not really Jewish. And I'm like, I don't care about your weird ass Jew yeah. rule about who gets to be a Jew or not. <laughs> you know, if I don't care about Israel, I'm not going to care what so... a bunch of other Jews think. Yeah. If I'm Jewish or not, I got a Jewish last name. I got a Jewish dad. I got a beautiful Jewish face and body. Like that counts. I'm yeah. Jewish now. You know, yeah. if I'm in a writer's room, people are going to look at me and be like, yeah, he belongs. <laughs> yeah, he's Jewish. You know, and I, I talk about the my book that I wrote. Somebody left me a bad review of my book just because my last name is Berenstein. And I'm <laughs> like, I'm Jewish enough for you to hate me just because of yeah. my Jewish last name. I'm Jewish. It's like you you're, know? you're looking really angry about the fact and adamant about the fact that I'm not Jewish, but it, I just don't care. So we can just change the subject. Yeah. That's really yeah. interesting. I've, I've actually always like sort of like wondered about that just in writing comedy and um, people like performing it. Like when I sort of like analyze an intake comedy um, for me. And I've heard other people like say differently, but for some people, it's just like it's a fun time, it's a laugh. Um, but I think it should actually have a punchline that like means something that has mm-hmm. a substantial and gets an image, gets an idea across. Um, in your like experience with like uh, like so, like any kind of like major comedy that you've ever listened to, do you think that most people are are doing that? Do you think that's a common thing? You know, there's um, the the. The tour that I just got off of is actually a really good example of that because the headliner is somebody who's very agenda-driven and all of this stuff is very political and very liberal political, very, very, very progressive political. And then I tend to be a little bit more I, – I, I curse and I tell stories about sex and, you know, and I try to have like a little bit of substance to my stuff, but I'm definitely more – silly than that i'm not purely agenda driven and then the 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 middle guy the feature on the show on the tour he's just straight jokes and he's got he's like no political agenda he's just like i just think this is funny and i'm gonna do this and i think that there's value to all of that like if you saw adam sandler's last hour on netflix it's just it's pure id it's it's fully silly and it's great you know, I've been, I've been listening to his rap song, Phone Wallet Keys. I've been listening to it one. as yeah. a song mm-hmm. for like the last week. <laughs> it's just so good. And that's me. Every house, every time I leave anything, I go, I like tap, I go, tap one pocket phone, the other one wallet, and then like my coat pocket keys. Mm-hmm. And then and I start singing like Phone Wallet Keys. <laughs> <laughs> I, should listen, I should listen to that song because I've been it's forgetting my keys so every good. day for the last like two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a mantra. Like, you know, some Buddhists have mantras. Mine is like Phone Wallet Keys. Phone. Yeah. And you're in a, and you're in a Starbucks instead of a yeah. instead of a temple, and I don't have a huge audience. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know. Like if I if I'm watching somebody, I don't need them to have an agenda. I don't need them to just be silly. I just I don't know. I just want something that is interesting and unique. You know, like uh, Mark Norman. He's one of my favorite standups. Sam Morrill, one of my favorite standups. These guys are not really political, but their jokes are really smart. Yeah. And they're they're great jokes, you know. And some of their politics don't matter, mirror my politics. And some of the things they might say about race might not be the most progressive thing in the entire world. I'm not calling anybody right, out. Right, right, right. They're great, though, you know. And I, I don't know. There's something about those comics where I'm like, that's the material that I wish that I could write. Yeah. I hear. What about the uniqueness that you mentioned? And when you are writing a joke and you're trying to be yourself and trying to be unique, do you mm-hmm. mean that the content that which you're making jokes about is different content that other people are speaking about? Or like the types of jokes that you're saying, like, I don't know, like, this is an old, like, like a trope of a joke, like 
that like that that was awkward trump mm-hmm. like the 90s like is like what what exactly is is quote unquote unique about what you're doing because i think that john mulaney he like he's very specifically in an interview was just like when i first started out i was trying to be as unique as possible so i was like oh nobody else is telling jokes about the liberty bell i'll tell jokes about the liberty bell and then somebody was like you don't have to go that far (laughs) so like what did you mean by unique uh i just from aggressively from my perspective you know where um you know i i was talking to my girlfriend about the there are these like accents that i love that just really soothe me you know and i was like i really want to do a joke where i talk about like how i can listen to I could listen to Mark Wahlberg read the phone book. And for some reason, you know, ASMR, like thing where yeah, people yeah. listen to whispers, like for some reason, heavy Boston accents are that for me. Like I can <laughs> fall asleep watching The Departed. It's just like, yeah. I just love it so much. But at the same time, I can't do a Boston accent myself. So I'm like a T-Rex that just like, I can't like, I have these like T-Rex arms where I can't jerk myself off, you know, like, like I can't give myself the satisfaction that I want so badly. And so I just, it's like that. It's like, I don't know, like that's, it's, it's aggressive. It comes aggressively from my inside. And there's another thing I'm working on now where like I, I felt like I was a really good middle of the road person as far as like kinkiness goes. Like I wasn't like full BDSM, but I'm not like a Mormon, but I feel (laughs) like people have progressed to the point where now I'm a prude again because yeah. people, everything is now back on the table. Like people are licking buttholes and stuff, and it's like <laughs> suddenly now the things that are popular, yeah. I'm like I'm like not into again. And now I feel like an like an old fogey because I don't want to do these things, you know. And, and it's I mean, like now that everyone talks about sex, it's like a competition who can be crazier. Whereas yeah. we've gone from one extreme to the other. Yeah, and I mean like that can, that can be a perspective that somebody else has, but like that's how I feel right now. And even if there's another comic that feels that way. I um hopefully we will express that differently enough where it's like I'm gonna use my comedy brain to express that and you're gonna use your comedy brain to express that. I hear. <laughs> I hear. Cool. I hope that was I hope that cleared things up. No, yeah. it did. <laughs> okay. Now, uh last question before we have to take a quick break. Uh what this is a question I like to ask comedians. You've done a lot of work, you've done a lot of reading. What's a podcast or book that you recommend to anyone interested in getting better at comedy? In getting better at comedy? Yeah. Hmm. I think that the one that I would I would point to would be Pete Holmes's podcast. Because oh, that's he, a great podcast. He does talk about comedy, but he also talks about like spirituality and finding yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's actually really important to it. I think that one of the things that helped me develop as a comedian was the sort of self-help aspect of everybody else's work ethic where they were like you have to go out and do eight open mics a week and just having that be part of my routine and 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 making the focus of it me trying to get better me trying to improve myself is such an essential part of being a good creative uh and i think that when you talk about comedy like like he does in this podcast and when you talk about that kind of uh, introspection and spirituality where you're not just trying to be funny, you're not just trying to get ahead, but you're also trying to be the best version of yourself. I think that is infinitely valuable to somebody who wants to get started in the creative industry. So I would say Pete Holmes's podcast, You Made It Weird. Sweet. Max likes that one too. <laughs> Love that podcast. It's a great so much. show. Yeah. I, I was listening to the Fred Armisen episode from like, it was like, this was like a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, I don't think I listened to that one oh yet. Oh my God, it's so funny. I can't wait. It's so funny. All mm-hmm. right, so check that one out, but also don't stop listening to this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you like this podcast and you want to know how you can listen to it on the go, there is a way to do that. Uh, we have an iPhone and Android app. Go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash iPhone or slash Android or go to the App Store to find out how to download that and listen on the go. We also have a newsletter where we give away stuff. You have interviews, a lot of really great hyper-local news. So if you're interested in the community and what's going on in Bushwick and Brooklyn at large, uh, sign up to our newsletter, radiofreebrooklyn.org slash newsletter, and you can join the group there. One thing about us that's pretty cool, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. That's kind of why I can say fuck as many times as I want, because we don't have anyone on top of us telling us we've got to do or can't do. But that also means we only exist if you're willing to help us out. So if you want to donate a tax-deductible donation, head to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate, not to Brooklyn's, radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate, and uh, more information there. We also have an after-school program for teens where they get to learn how to do what we're doing in the studio. And that's something I wish I had when I was 13 to 18 years old. So head to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Teen Squad for more information and to apply. And uh, thank you so much once again. You are listening to Not Just for Laughs on Radio Free Brooklyn, and we appreciate you being here. If you're just tuning in, we are uh, Ellie Raskin and Max Hollander with our guest Jared Bernstein, an accomplished comedian. So... It has been said that there's a correlation between comedians and mental health. Uh, This is a segment where we dive into that and ask you some questions to clear the air and to clarify and to talk about these type of topics. So would you say uh, mental health has played a part in your career choice? Um, I'm not sure that it has. um, You know, this is something that I've I've definitely talked about in the past with other people. And it's it's such a, uh, you know... This this idea of the the sad clown, mm-hmm. you know, it's so pervasive, and I'm not sure how accurate it is. I know that you know there are a lot of comedians who suffer from uh, some sort of uh, you know mental illness, and I have been uh, I've I've had bouts of depression in my life that I've had to work through, but I I wouldn't say that they were connected necessarily. You know, like I I struggled with it through most of my life, and it took me a really long time to work my way to a point where I could be not depressed. Um, but I wouldn't say that my depression is like what made me want to be a comedian. You know, I think I just liked comedy and I wanted attention, you know? And, uh, yeah. And once I was able to connect the dots and be like, I want to do that thing that I love so much, then that's sort of like what drove me to it. But I don't think I ever looked at it as like a way of dealing with my depression, you know? Yeah. Do you talk, sorry, does it affect the comedy that you do do? Um, do you do? <laughs> I think that more than anything, it's a it's a hindrance. I think that uh, you know it can really be a roadblock in actually getting the work done. Like I think that for a comedian, being productive and being prolific is such a is such an advantage. And mm-hmm. when you're depressed, it puts such a hamper on that. I was doing a show uh, called Current Events. It was a monthly show where I would sort of take all the news from the month and try to write an entire show around wow. it. And the reason I was doing it is I was doing the the show that I won the awards for back in like 2012. And I had all these friends that were coming to see it again and again. And I always felt bad because I was like, I'm, I'm just doing this one same show over yeah. and over again. I really wish that I could do something that was like different every month. And then people would be inspired to like come every every single yeah, time. Not just to support you, but also because 
there's something new there's something that we'll never see again. Exactly. Yeah. And so I was like, well, what can I do? And I was like, well, I really like talking about the news, so I'm going to do this. And so I started doing the show, and I had stand-ups come on and do stand-ups, like stand-up in the middle. Mm -hmm. And the show was kind of like developing and coming along, and it was getting better. And I started really falling in love with the show. But then I sort of hit this roadblock where I was like, how am I going to get more people to come see the show? So then I started, in addition to doing the show, which was a giant amount of work, like collecting all the news and writing it and making slides and, you know, booking and everything, I started focusing on promotion and getting people to come out and see it and, you know, hitting up reporters and seeing if they wanted to write about it. And, you know, the guy who gave me my, my critics pick... You know, he doesn't work for Time Out anymore. And so he recommended me the new guy, but I don't think the new guy liked me that much. So I was right. like, well, then how do I get the new Time Out guy to come and see my show? So I finally, I managed to find this guy who, um, he wrote a little bit about comedy. And I forget where he wrote it for, if it was for like Esquire or something. But I was like, hey, I sent out this like email to like a bunch of people where I was like, hey, I'm doing this show. I would really love it if you came and checked it out sometime. Uh, you know, I've won these awards in the past. I've had these comedians on, like it's a big yeah. deal. And and this guy finally hit me back and he was like, yeah, I'd love to. Just let me know when. And I was like, oh, shit, like this is it. Like this is the moment. Right. And so I was like, OK, so this is going to be he's coming to the show in February. That means there's got to make sure that I pack out the February show. Yeah. I've been doing the show for uh, almost two years now. And I was like, I'm, I'm good at the show now. Yeah. And it's got a format and it's smart. And and uh, I just need to I just need to pack out the show so this reporter can see it and be impressed and write about it. So I start calling everybody. I know I'm calling in favors like crazy. I'm like, please, if you can come, come to the February show. The February show is going to be the big one. And then I had a friend who's like who works in um, startups. And he was like, not only am I going to come, but I'm going to bring my whole team and Damn. we're going to come there. And I'm like, sweet. And I'm like, and then like, you know, I'm writing the show and it's, it's coming out like butter. I'm just like feeling really good about it. And then, uh, um, he canceled. Oh, oh, don't I get out of the not. story. I hope not. Uh, I'm getting so stressed so right then, now. I'm, I'm just like cringing. It's I'm almost, waiting for that turn. It's almost the day of the show. And I realized like, this is going to be a really hot one. I should get some people down there to film it because it's going to be amazing. Right. So I got a call up a friend of mine and I'm like, would you mind filming the show? And he's like, sure thing. And I get, you know, some audio all set up and everything. And. I put a little black up against the wall so it looks cool. Oh, oh. And then I think like three days beforehand, the reporter says, hey, man, it's not going to work out. Do you mind if we do March instead? And so I was Ooh. like, fuck. It's like I could tell everybody to just not come because this guy's not yeah. coming. But like that's just such a weird thing to do, right? It'd be like, hey, I know you guys were planning on seeing the show, but he's not coming anymore. Yeah. So like, why would you, you know? So I just put on the show. I just put, I just did it and it went perfect and it was so great and like all the jokes hit and it was like the most consistent one and you're doing all this new material like obviously not everything is going to work but like so much of it worked so well oh, God. and he wasn't there and, and then finally it, yeah. I was like I was like hey everybody listen you know I had supposed to have a special guest at the end of the show uh, but March is going to be even better so if you guys could make it in March that would be really awesome so then like there's this giant party afterwards because I have like some people that I know and everyone's so impressed you know blah blah blah. And so then I'm like, all right, March, I got to do March. So I start hitting up the same people and I'm like, listen, I'm so sorry to do this to you again, but you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm, I'm like asking more and more and more. And it's like, I get a good audience for March, but it's a little lighter than February yeah. was because I already kind and of. And the journalist showed up. No, no. That's the other thing. I haven't even gotten to that part of the story yet, man, because sitting down to write the show, I was like, I can't do it. Like, how am I going to beat that last show? Yeah. It's like, can I even, I had the worst writer's block of my whole life. 
just staring down the barrel of trying to recreate what I did in February. And so finally, I was just like, just like, just write. That's that's the key to writer's block, right? Just right. write, just get it out there. And I write a show, and it's good. Maybe it's not as good as February, but it's still a good show. And then the day of the show rolls around, and the reporter hits me up, and he goes, hey, so um, how's this going to work? Like, are you going to interview me on the show or something? And I was like, and at that point, I was like, he thinks he's in the show. So I go back, and I reread everything that I wrote him before. And nothing in my emails suggests that he's a part of the show. It's all come check out the show. Come see the show. And so I write him back and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry if there's miscommunication, but I really was just hoping that you would see the show and then maybe write about it if you liked it, blah, blah, blah. And then he writes back and he goes, oh, cool. Okay, well, you know, <laughs> I definitely I definitely do that. But like tonight's not really great for me just to see a oh, show. No. So how about we reschedule? And I was just like, I just can't. All right, that's fine. And so I went out and I did the show and... This whole experience was like a fucking, it was like loading me into a cannon and firing me into depression. It was yeah. just like, it, it created a well in me that I was like, that it took me so much time and energy to get out of. I started going to therapy because of that. Wow. Uh, I, and, and just like, you know, trying to write my way out of it by like continuing to do the shows. And then obviously, you know, the big show was in February. March was a little lighter. April was garbage. May was even worse. Like I had called it on my favors. No one was coming yeah. back to see the show again, you know? And so it was like, now I'm working my ass off on this show that, that I like my best show was two months ago, three months ago. And the yeah. audience is not coming. And then I was like, what am I even fucking doing, man? And so like that depression just kind of like worse and worse and worse. And just took a lot of work to, to try to get myself out of it. And thankfully like therapy helped and yeah. moving on to other projects helped. But like, but like that was a real fucking shot in the dick, man. And it was all because I fell into this depression. If that hadn't affected me, I could have just it just kept on working. I just kept, right. kept on being productive. Can I ask what's one thing you learned from that bout that helped you the next time something like that happened? What I realized was that part of the reason why that hurt so much is that every time I do something that I think is like big, I think it's my ticket out of here. And I, I always view it in that in those terms of like I do this show and it gets written up and there's audiences out the door and suddenly I'm doing theaters and I'm moving into a giant apartment and I'm doing television spots, blah, blah, blah. And then it doesn't happen and I get infinitely depressed and right. so disappointed. And then but I, you know, that was sort of like a, a trigger for me where I was like every big thing that happened afterwards, I was like, OK, well, let's try to not do that again. And then that show, Current Events, I was able to do that for like, um, uh, it was like a, it was like a come see for Comedy Central where they wanted to come check it out. Nice. And obviously, I mean, it didn't amount to anything, but it was still a cool thing to do. Yeah. But leading into it, I was still like, this is going to lead to television. This is going to lead to the fancy apartment. This is going to lead to everything. And it was the first time, and it was because I had the thing that happened with the reporter, right. it was the first time that I was able to, to look at it and be like, okay, let's not do this again. Yeah, that's, we've been down this road yeah. before. And obviously it still hurt, but it was a process. It was It's a process where every time a big thing happens, you then learn a little bit better to not think that way about it. And when my and when I got the, the book deal to do right. the, the Kellyanne Conway technique, um, that was the one where I was like, okay... I'm not going to be happy about this. I'm not going to be, I shouldn't say happy about this. I'm not going to be overly excited about what this book is going to bring me right. at all and see if that helps. You know, Do you, is there any aspect of focusing on just the joy of creating? Like, do you find yourself, not only are you not falling into the depression, but you enjoy the process better because 
it's not about the end. It's about the process. I mean, that's a really wonderful um, tool. And if that's the way that my brain always worked, then yes. But turning off one didn't like uh, turn up the other. Right. I, you know, writing the book was still uh, really difficult, but at times joyful when you come up with something great and you get to look at it and be like, oh, wow, wow, that's mine now. Like, I own that. I did that. That's great. And then having the book at the end and being proud of the book, like, that was wonderful, too. And I wish that I could say that, you know, not focusing on the the payoff and just focusing on the creative process uh, made me focus more on the creative process. But that's just not that's just not the way my brain works. You yeah. know, I'm not that advanced and centered of a person yet. <laughs> you don't meditate before every podcast and show. <laughs> Definitely not. Ah, what? All right. So I want to, we're getting to the end of it. And I like asking uh, the guest, first of all, I want to thank you for opening up about no, that. Thank you so much for having me guys. Cause it can't have been easy. And the question I'd like to ask you just to end on a light note is what's the best advice you've ever received. And what's the worst advice you've ever received? Ooh, okay. Best advice I ever received. I actually really like this one. Um, I was hanging out at a club. I don't want to say which club it was, but it was one of the garbage clubs. Okay. Uh, and I was doing, I think, an eight-minute spot okay. on the show. And the other comedians I thought were all terrible. And the audience was terrible. And it was all people that were called in from you know, Times Square and other touristy areas with promises of seeing, you know, comics from David Letterman. And of course, none of the comics were on television ever. And it's just, and I was just sitting backstage with another comic who was also doing eight minutes. And I was like, why are we fighting for this? If yeah. this is the kind of show that we're doing, like I'm, and I pointed to the guy who's doing 20, who was awful. And I was like, I'm working hard to be that guy. And the other comic that was sitting back there, he was like, that's what it looks like when he's a comedian. What does it look like when you're a comedian? And I was like, that is probably the best advice I've ever heard for comedy is it's like you don't just do comedy to be that comedian. You become mm-hmm. your own version of comedian. And it's, it's some people, their path isn't doing, you know, nine open mics a week. It's putting out content every week on yeah. Instagram or YouTube or something like that. Interesting. I really like that, I really yeah. like that advice. Yeah. What does it look like when you're a comedian? Happens because you're always comparing and it's like, no, you don't. That's not the only option. There's mm-hmm. other options. And uh, God, worst advice. advice. Worst advice is just um, uh, anybody who's not in the industry looking at you and saying, uh, you should do SNL. You should get on SNL. That's really good. Why don't you just just apply? (laughs) Have you ever thought of that? You should maybe think about getting an agent. I hear that that's a really good thing for... For comedians, that's yeah, really good. Oh I was like, oh yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. Generally, any anybody who's not in comedy who wants to give you another project, yeah. you know, like, like oh, SNL is the first thing they'll say like immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, are you going to do that for me? Because I've tried and he doesn't yeah. want to talk to me. Or even just like, why don't you think about starting a podcast? Or why don't you think about doing a weekly YouTube show? Or what do you think about this? Where it's just like, oh, I'm I'm already busy. I'm like, already I think doing about comedy. That. I obsess about that. You know, oh, you want me to add another thing? Oh yeah, sure. I'll just do everything <laughs> you say. All right, uh, this has been another episode of Not Just for Laughs with your hosts, Ellie Raskin, Max Hollander, and special guest, Jarrett Bernstein. Thank you for Check having me. Check out his work, J-A-R-R-E-T-B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N.com. Yes. And uh, upcoming shows and stuff like that. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully this week is a great week. See you again next Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And best of luck to everyone.